Hello, I'm Kristen Marshand, and welcome back here on the Opiongo Line and our show today highlighting the Valley Irish and in particular how St. Patrick's Day used to be celebrated in Barry's Bay back in the 20th century. Time now to rejoin Sean Conway, host of The Local, and his guests, Joanne Olson, Mark Wormke, and Karen Yakabuski. When you add all those things up, the, the plays, uh, we're talking about the St. Patrick's play here, but uh, I think with the possible exception of Mark, uh, Karen and Joanne and I are, <clears throat> are old enough to have participated in another remarkable uh, theatrical event, and that was Mrs. Shalla's Christmas concert, which was, when I think about it, a spectacular undertaking, because at least with the St. Patrick's Day event, play, you're dealing with adults or near adults. But I just remember that St. Pat, that uh, Mrs. Shalla's Christmas concert. I got thrown out of it because my voice for singing was so bad. But what a performance that was! It is true then that uh, the play's the thing. Yeah, the play's the thing. But I, I do agree with you about those Christmas concerts too. And what what I'm always remark uh, I remark to myself and others is the the bounty of the talent that resided here in the valley. You can talk about political, you talk about um, the teachers alone, um, and they were huge motivators for so many of the people who moved on to do big things. Um, and um, I, I just think we must have been, well, I guess it was Irish luck, but you know, some kind of luck that we landed in an environment like this that collected so much talent in a small area. And speaking of that, um, I have a very, very vivid memory that I, I think Karen will, will share, and perhaps you, Joanne. And this would be in the early 1960s. And I first heard the buzz at church, St. Lawrence O'Toole. I'd probably be in about grade three or four, so I was 10, 11. Well, there was only one thing young men could talk about. Not boys, young men, but it would filter down to boys. And that was, have you heard who's arrived in town? A beautiful and spectacularly talented young woman from Cape Breton. Mm -hmm. Karen, do you want to take the story from there? Julie McDonnell, yeah. Uh, she was certainly beautiful, different than a lot of, you know, uh, I, I, different because she was sparky. She was really sparky. Gorgeous, curly, curly hair. Laughed, laughed like an angel. Um, sang like one. Danced like goodness knows. Um, just seemed to be... Uh, yeah, she was a very special uh, person. And she, she worked at Yakubuski. She hardly, was she? the cashier for a good number of years until she was swept off her feet by a wonderful fellow, and they had a remarkable family. Um, Frank Leahy from Frank Lakefield. Frank Leahy, exactly. And, I mean, that blossomed into talent that's known internationally, you know. The Leahys, yeah. the famous yeah. Leahys. As yeah. you say that, all I can remember, and again, I wasn't just quite old enough to fully appreciate what was going on, 
a lot of broken young men's hearts, <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. broken young men's hearts. Um, and Frank was somewhat older than uh, Julie. He was. And I mm -hmm. remember the wags going around, that is small W wags saying, well, for these young Barry's Bay suitors, you know, they lost and they lost to, um, you know, um, a drover. Uh, he was, a, you know, an agricultural actor who was a drover, who really was the cattle business. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was probably 15 years older than some of the more aggressive suitors for, uh, for Julie. Uh, and and uh, Joanne, you're, you're, you're smiling knowingly. So your remembrance of uh, one of the great musical talents, because that, that's all I remember about her, was just yeah. song and dance and, and working at Yagabowski's Hardware. Mm-hmm. I do remember her. I do remember that she was absolutely stunning because I would have probably been about eight or nine years old at the time. But I'm smiling because, of course, Bill Gallette was my dad's absolute best friend. And I know that his heart was terribly, terribly broken. We all, that was the name I didn't want to mention, but thank you for doing so because Bill's a great guy. But uh, yes, that, that was the talk around mm -hmm. town that. Uh, how will Bill Gillette ever get over this? And of course, he did and married a, a lovely Barry Spade girl, Barbara Minta. And uh, now, Julie must have been, because I remember her performing, so she would have performed in those St. Patrick's concerts when she was here. Some yes. of them, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, again, a, a, a memory that uh, reinforces uh, your point, Karen, that uh, for a small town of twelve or 1,500 people, uh, it's quite quite amazing, uh, and some of those families, like Mark mentioned, the Kellys, um, and you know, you think of some of the other families that just every generation just uh, the Billingses, you know, they just every generation just uh, you know, it's a genetic inheritance. If your name was Billings, uh, or you know, the Billingses danced, among other things, the Kellys sang. Um, it just seemed to be a culture that. Uh, of course, we talk about because that is in part the Celtic tradition, song and dance. That it, it is a defining characteristic of human beings everywhere. But the but the Irish uh, seem to have embraced it uh, with a particular, or at least a distinctive uh, enthusiasm. In my experience, uh, the two places where that becomes really noticeable. Some days I think I'm in the same place. One is in small town Newfoundland. And of course, in the in Ottawa Valley places with names like Barry's Bay and Sheenborough and Douglas, and you know, you think, and sometimes you think they're interchangeable because they speak something of the same dialect in some cases. And they're, the Newfoundlanders' enthusiasm for song and dance is uh, probably one of the distinctive, most distinctive aspects of uh, of the Canadian population. Mark Wertke, I'd like to return to um, some of what you said about. Uh, what you found in the archives about the uh, some of the plays that were before any of us were born back in uh, the years of the the First World War. Do you want to um, just um, tell me about some of what your research has turned up there? Well, I thought it was interesting that uh, you know some of the old clippings from the Eganville Leader or some of the references to plays that were included in Josh uh, Blank's article that was published in the St. Hedwig's uh, 100th Anniversary History Booklet, uh, it, it indicated that the plays were very much cooperative efforts between Polish residents and Irish residents, and in some cases, you know, the cast were almost entirely Polish. Uh, there was one picture that I noticed that, 
you know, had a number of Sobolskis and Omanics uh, as part of the cast and some ide- unidentified people, which I was able to identify as my great aunt, uh, Norma Billings. But uh, it was very much a, a community effort. Music and theater appealed to everybody regardless of their background. And, you know, it also makes me think of back in the 70s when the, the Kelly family would be performing, they took the, the song, The Orange and the Green, and they would change the words to, you know, me mother, she was Polish, and my father, he was green. Let me move on to something, um, something else that, that I want to talk about. Because two people here are um, related to, uh, and represent the Billings family, and the Billings family goes back way, way into the roots of this, uh, this area, not just Barry's Bay, but elsewhere in the, the upper Ottawa Valley. But for a hundred years, they were running uh, the railway hotel, the Bald Morale, where, you know, if you got off the train when you got to Barry's Bay, the first port of call was the uh, Bald Morale just across the, uh, across the well, across the street, but it was not a very wide street at that point. It's now Opiongo Square, I guess. So, Joanne, first to you. Um, thinking about your memories uh, of St. Patrick's Day, St. Patrick's Week at the, um, at the Ball Morale, as you remember it, or you heard your parents talk about. I don't think that the hotel actually organized anything overly... Uh, special for St. Patrick's Day probably other than something different on the menu in the dining room uh, in the earlier years. My guess is that that would be because they wouldn't want to uh, conflict with or compete with the parish in terms of uh, the concerts that were, were being held and those concerts were actual very successful fundraisers for the parish. Uh, I think that should be noted as uh, as well. My memories in terms of actual event at the hotel, basically the events, I think, that, I think what happened was when the concerts perhaps stopped or weren't as regu- regular, um, was around, um, around the early 80s, 1983. And I think what was happening at the hotel at that time was, you know, the trains were not coming in. Um, the traveling salesman who would normally rent uh, rooms on a weekly basis, uh, they had stopped uh, coming. And so my dad, who was by that time uh, the owner and manager, was trying to come up with ways to... Uh, improve revenue for the business. Uh, an old building, uh, the upkeep of an old building is is incredibly high. So the idea came up to actually host a, a dinner for St. Patrick's Day. And that's how it started out. I think the first year was 1983, and it was a special dinner. And I do remember uh, at that dinner, my Aunt Gwen uh, playing the piano, and again, I was the page turner, um, and I'm sure that my mom did do, as she would say, give us a step, Bernice, and she did. Um, and the dinner was pretty straightforward. Uh, people did have to make a reservation, and uh, it was very reasonably priced, and there were two options, I believe, roast beef dinner, full roast beef dinner with appetizer and and dessert uh, or roast turkey, um, and that was sort of the beginning of the famous 
uh, Balmoral Hotel Irish Cream Pie, which my mother found a recipe somewhere. It certainly was not an old family recipe, but it became sort of this famous pie that uh, only a few of us now have the privilege of having the recipe for. So it went over extremely well. So then the next year, um, so of course I was living away at this time, and so my mom and dad would would take the reservation. So that would be a piece of paper or a piece of cardboard, the back of a beer case probably that my dad ripped off, and the phone would ring and dad would write down, uh, uh, you know, a couple's name and two people or whatever for for dinner and I think dinner was supposed to start at 5:30 so and they would just keep taking names and so when I would come home so I was always summoned home at least a day before this big dinner my dad would hand me this piece of cardboard and said there you go now figure out where everyone's going to sit so you know I would look at this piece of paper and there would be easily 200 people on this piece of paper. And I would be thinking, what is the legal capacity of this place? Um, So it would start and we would try and figure out uh, who was going to sit where and we would bring up wooden chairs from the basement. We would find tables that hadn't been used in years. Uh, Every square inch of that building was used. Um, The large beverage room the lobby on both both parts of the lobby, the what was known as the ladies' and gentlemen's room, um, and we would set these tables. Lots of decorating went on. I remember one year actually purchasing helium-filled balloons in the city, and they were really quite cute because they stood about three feet tall, and they were little leprechauns, and they literally, you put little pennies on their feet, and they they walked through the through the beverage rooms, through the hole. And my son Michael was about five years old, or, and uh, and he was dancing with the leprechauns. But it was a lot of fun. But the challenge really was, so I would get everyone seated, make little cards, and I would have to put you know two people with another two people because that's just the way the numbers worked out. And Dad would walk around about this would be about two hours before dinner time. And he would walk around and look at these cards, place cards that I had on the tables, and he'd come to me and he'd say, no, 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 you can't do this. You can't put those two people with those two people, or you can't seat those four beside those two. Because, And I'd say, why not? Well, because they're not getting along now. You know, they don't speak anymore. And I'd say, oh, for heaven's sakes, Dad, it's for one evening. Like, it's just a dinner, you know, get over it. Nope, 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 you got to change it. So I'd have to go around and move everybody around again. So it was a very busy time. It was all hands on deck. Uh, I remember my son Michael being little and taking people's coats, and they had to go upstairs to one of the rooms because there was no no place, no space on the main floor to hang a coat because every square inch was used. Um, the The noise level was incredible. Uh, the meal was good. And then, you know, as the years went on, it, it grew so much that um, a lot of people would then not be able to get seated for dinner, uh, and they would go home. The The dinner people would leave. They would be gone by 7.30 probably, and then the large beverage room would come to life with younger folk, 
and uh, the Kellys, the live, my dad was able to get the Kellys to come to perform. So it was quite an evening then um, from there on. So it was, it was a lot of work, but it actually was a lot of fun as well. So we did that for about five or six years, I think. And then my dad passed away in 1988 and we didn't have another dinner after that. Um, and I think maybe what happened again I was living away but I'm not real sure but I think what happened then was the Lions Club the local Lions Club kind of picked up on there not being any St. Patrick's celebration and they started hosting um, uh, an evening at the senior center and the Kellys would come and perform there as well and so when my husband and I moved back to Barry's Bay and we joined the Lions Club we actually participated in that for a while and then it got moved over to the Legion hall because it was bigger um, and could accommodate more people and I think Mike Kelly uh, for one of those one of those events at the Legion put a group of us who used to sing with the Madawaska Valley District High School minstrels and we did a little rehearsal and learned some Irish songs and performed that um, at the Legion Hall and then of course the pandemic hit and well, you tell that story very, very well. My memory of it was uh, it was very distinctive. I was, you know, living in Pembroke at that time, but still in politics. And my mother said to me one day, just quietly, she said, "You know, there's going to be a St. Patrick's dinner at the hotel, and your father and I would like to go." And I thought, and it was said to me in that kind of quiet but firm way that get the tickets and. Uh, you're coming with us, which which I was happy to do. And I remember, first of all, how hard a ticket it was to get. I'm telling you, that bloody ticket was not easy. I had to probably talk nicely to your father or whatever. But uh, but the first time I went, I was it was one of the most enjoyable and distinctive events. And when you're in politics, you go to a lot of events, and all the riding events are you know one of a kind and better than anything. But there was something that I felt that night, and I thought afterwards, you know, for people like my parents, when I looked around, it was a lot of their generation who were there. And then I thought, well, of course, why wouldn't it be something important? Because my parents, like so many, like virtually everybody probably, had their wedding dinner in the Balmoral in 1948. And, uh, but there was a... And Gwen Wormke was there, and I'm telling you, she was working along with your dad and, and that she played the piano and the food was excellent. The place was marvelously decorated. I mean, I saw parts of that hotel that I'd never seen before because it was, as you say, opened out and uh, it was just a really wonderfully distinctive event. And then I think I went every year until it was no more. But it was a very powerful uh, sense I got from being there. And, and I remember thinking, I remember talking to your dad a couple of times. And, you know, if you've ever, it was like you're talking to your mother after that, after a tea that she might have organized, you know, I'm talking to Karen now, folks. Uh, you know, you thought, oh God, if we could just get through the night because a lot is happening. And, and uh, as you say, that, you know, some of the social tensions in small towns about who's not talking to whom and whatever. But it was a really, really um, very 
pleasurable evening. And then I just remember the food being very good. I mean, I have spent all my life on the road eating out, and I'll tell you, that was a really good meal. And the, as I say, the decoration, you just walked in there, and I remember one of the nights, the weather was really ugly. I was driving over from Pembroke, and I thought, like you going to Brudenell as a young step dancer, I thought, I'm not going to make it. If I don't make it, I'm going to be in some real trouble at uh, at home. But uh, um, so with that said, let me ask you all, St. Patrick's Day is a few days hence. What, if anything, are you going to do this year to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, starting with you, Mark? Well, probably not very much. The pandemic's kind of put the screws to some of the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. But, uh, you know, uh, my husband and I got a dog last year on St. Patrick's Day. So uh, it'll be a fir- the first year for the dog. So we'll probably do something to celebrate that with but some dog, dog treats. But the dog's name is singularly appropriate. Finnegan. We, were, <laughs> we weren't going to call him Finnegan, but when he became available on March 17th, we thought, well, we better give him an Irish name. So we'll probably do something like that. And his grandmother's birthday is, uh, my husband's grandmother's birthday is on March 17th. So we'll give her a call. She'll be 94. So we'll give her a call too. Karen? You know, I hadn't thought about it, John. I expect I'll have a good Irish drink. Well, that would be mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. appropriate. Other than that, I I don't know. I don't know. Joanne? If I was going to be in Barry's Bay, I would probably have the family uh, for dinner, which I have done uh, several times since I moved back. Um, sometimes we would gather at the farm in uh, on O'Grady Settlement Road. Uh, but this year, I'm actually heading to Burlington. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law are going away for a weekend, and we will be looking after our two grandsons, Jack and Charlie. So we'll be celebrating St. Patrick's Day supper with the boys. So I'm not quite sure I might make them a pie, but I don't think they would eat corned beef and cabbage. Well, I know what I would, what I'll be doing, but I'm probably going to be frustrated by you know the inevitable. Uh, impact of the pandemic um i would be looking for just exactly what i found at the at the hotel um in barry's bay the balmoral those wonderful dinners that joanne just talked about living in pembroke for 30 years um it was easy to go initially to the shamrock room at the pembroke hotel which certainly on St. Patrick's Day would be festooned with... Uh, I eat there quite regularly anyway, so I remember going to lovely, mostly lunches at the Pembroke Hotel, and then you could, of course, cross the Interprovincial Bridge and find yourself in the upper part of Pontiac County in places like Sheenborough, and there'd be something on in the Catholic Church at Sheenborough or at some place over there that would be quite Irish. I was... I always like to be out among people with an, an Irish connection on uh, on St. Patrick's Day. Sometimes a play that was for years. I remember Pat Leonard, who you will remember from radio and television in Pembroke. Pat was uh, always involved in a, the play at, I think it was at Lourdes, Our Lady of Lourdes Parish in Pembroke. It was a big deal. and uh, But the pandemic has made a lot of that uh, very difficult. And a last question... Uh, Bills on that because the world post-pandemic is going to be different than the world pre-pandemic. I think a lot of organizations and a lot of communities are looking at just whether or not things that were 
sustainable for decades and more than a century. And here I'm thinking about those ginormous, you know, church suppers, whether or not having not been able to do those for two or three years has broken the chain. And uh, will it be able to be restarted? Because quite frankly, a lot of the energy keeping those alive were people over 65 and 70 and lots of young people involved. But do someone said it here earlier, if you look at communities like Barry's Bay, um, it's a growing community. Um, one just needs to look at a, a list of, you know, municipal voters to see names that uh, you don't recognize. That's always been the case, but it's accelerating. I know, Karen, you, you've lived in a part of town where there's a lot of growth and a lot of new, new people moving in. Is there an identity issue um, developing for some of these communities that we're all going to be kind of a homogenized, pasteurized, televised something or other that the thing that connects us is, uh, you know, CNN and uh, Netflix and, uh, you know, or is there, is there, um, are there the institutions that we spent a lot of this last hour and a bit talking about to provide a kind of a distinctive, um, you know, glue to knit places like Barry's Bay uh, together? Or is that just fanciful? I, th I think that's a really big question worthy of some kind of doctoral thesis, really. Uh, <laughs> but when you look at, when you kind of look at the, the, the historical, uh, if we look at the, 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 the Irish concert and kind of across its history, um, you know, it started in the early 1900s, the concerts and the plays, um, because that was a form of entertainment that was appropriate at the time. And then when the high school arrived, I think you see a bit of a decline in it to some degree because the high school was providing things that the community didn't need to, you know, that used to, the community used to provide. Uh, and so you had drama and music and things like that happening at the high school. Now we're in a different phase where the high school population is declining and we have people being educated at home, et cetera. And so things are changing again. And I, I don't think there's anything we can do to change that. That's just, uh, that's just the evolution of the community. Karen? Ties that bind communities together, a community together, uh, paying some regard to its distinctive origins, if not its distinctive current reality. Mm -hmm. um, well, certainly the diversity uh, is very apparent here now. Um, and yet I personally am back in my own hometown only three, maybe four years. But um, as Mark said, this is a very big subject and worthy of study. Inevitable is change. And the question will be where it all settles. Joanne? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think... Um, my observation returning a few years back was there seems to have been a real loss of volunteerism as well. Um, you know, no one seems to have time. Um, so I, I don't really know what will happen in the future. I think there's opportunity. I think the community still needs activities like 
like the St. Patrick's Tea, and I think it still needs to have variety shows. And because we've lost a lot of our other entertainment venues, we don't have a theater, we don't have a ski hill. There's a lot of things that we have lost. So, you know, there's opportunity there. Um, perhaps from from a business perspective, there is some opportunity. Um, I think the change that I see is that we have. Uh, a lot of the people who are who are coming to Barry's Bay and area are retirees. And so as retirees, myself included, we are at a stage in our lives where do we want to take on projects and and you know give our volunteer time. So uh, I'm not really sure where things are going to go from here. Well, let me just offer as a concluding comment, my own observations on this, uh, like Karen, um, I've come back now to Barry's Bay in just the last two years. The pandemic drove me out of uh, Toronto where I was doing some teaching at uh, a couple of the local universities there. Uh, and interestingly, when you're, you're in public life, as I was for nearly 30 years, you know, you represent a geographic district that included a, a lot of Renfrew County. So you're here, but you're not here. It's not the same as living in one place in understanding the rhythm of the particular community um and now that i'm back here and 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 again i was never away but it's not the same as being here so now that i'm back here i am struck by a couple of things i am concerned and this is a concern right across canada and the united states that that um, there's been a loss of community identity there's been a, a loss of community connectedness and part of it is change and change is you know is completely understandable the community what is now Barry's Bay in 1930 was not what was here in 1890 and and thus is the nature of human life and evolution but one of you I think Joanne Joanne well something you said Joanne that I thought was interesting um I just remember going to that event at the hotel, that first dinner I went to in 1983 or four, whatever that was, it was packed, absolutely packed. There was a real untapped res- reserve there that, not reserve, but untapped well of, of interest and enthusiasm and support. Um, and I think it just, I don't even think at one level it's got anything to do with the Irish. I just think people are people. We live together in community and people like to, sort of identify in some appropriate way with that. Um, I remember growing up here, you know, and I I know Karen, you and your sister Jennifer left town in what we would call the middle high school years. What, grade 10? So when you went to... Uh, grade 11. What, when, you, when, mm-hmm. when you went away. I remember my older brother went away about the same time, and he came back from Ottawa, the University of Ottawa High School, and I remember him telling me with some concern that they, they're laughing at me because apparently we talk funny. I was a graduate student at Queen's University in 1970, in the mid-70s, and a professor of mine, you know, did one of these round tables with everyone in the class, and who are you and where are you from? And I'm telling you, I never liked those things, and I certainly didn't feel like, you know, as a 22-year-old having to go through that exercise again. And there were eight of us in this graduate class of 20th century Canadian history, and Professor Gibson went around the table, and I was in the middle of the circle of about eight. And, you know, who are you? Where are you from? 
well, my name is you know Charlie and I'm from Truro, Nova Scotia, and my name is Mary and I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, and um, I thought, what am I going to say? So when it got to my turn, I said, kind of with an angry tone in my voice, well, my name is Conway and I'm from the Ottawa Valley. Pause. And then the professor just looked at me and said, pardon me, say that again? And I thought, this is your problem, you know? I repeated uh, myself and then there was another pause and then out came the falling and he didn't crack a smile as he did it. And I won't do it justice. He said, quote, well, then you'd know all about number nine binder twine. The class laughed. I got mad. And of course, he put up his hands and said, I'm only kidding. My wife's from Renfrew. Um, but um, what I remember about uh, growing up here uh, and things like the shows, the thing, you know, the performing arts, um, you talked about, uh, you know, another theater was the political theater. It was before television. It was like going to the concert or going to the St. Patrick's Day mm -hmm. event. They get up on the stage. And if you couldn't perform, you know, you probably you know, weren't going to survive in that milieu. And I think back to some of the performers that I saw on the stages in this community, Karen, that you were referencing. And it, they really were good. I mean, it... Uh, but um, the um, the but the worry I now have is that uh, with the internet and with so many things that afford us all the opportunity to narrow cast on specialty channels, that what what's the tie that binds? And that's a problem for everybody. But in some of these rural communities, I think where there was a more distinctive, it might be in our case, language. Apparently, the Ottawa Valley accent was a has now become a kind of a badge of honor. I mean, I grew up at a time when Central Canadians laughed about the Newfie. The Newfies, they talked funny, you know, they were, you know, they were just a bit beyond the beyond. Well, now you watch, you know, Canadian television, and every second performer on whether, it doesn't have to be on the, uh, just on the theatrical and dramatic side, but... I watch the news a lot and I see a disproportionate number of Newfoundlanders up there with their very distinctive accent. Um, and I guess the final thing I'd say about that is that in this little lumber town, uh, when I grew up here, that, that, that there were teachers who, um, you know, made it very plain to many of us that just because you're from a small town, you should not think that you're some kind of a second-class citizen, that you just... And I think that the sadness of that is that it wasn't I, that that jam wasn't universally applied across the toast, to use a, an analogy. But um, I just hope that there's a way we can, in the age of the internet, find ways to establish, uh, you know, reestablish some kind of a community connectedness. If you live through something like an ice storm or something, you quickly find out you mm -hmm. better know your neighbor and you better know your your neighbors you know, capacity to uh, get through what might be a difficult situation. But this was not a difficult situation, a delightful afternoon. And I want to thank our guests this afternoon for the remembrance of St. Patrick's Day in Barry's Bay of yesteryear, Karen Yakabuski, Joanne Olson, and Mark Wormke. Thank you all for doing this. Thank you, Sean. Thank you.
That was the local's host, Sean Conway, in conversation with Joanne Olson, Mark Wormke, and Karen Yakabuski, all talking about the joy of being Irish back in Barry's Bay in the latter half of the 20th century, especially in the run-up to the St. Patrick's Day, which was very much celebrated throughout the entire Madawaska and Opiango River valleys back in the day. And the good thing was you didn't even have to be Irish to be included to enjoy yourself. Just one of those happy people with an eye and ear and voice for a bit of fun, if not blarney. I'm Krista Nomarshand. Oh, goodness gracious, what am I saying? It must be contagious, or else that song at the top of the show just might be working its magic. Next thing you know, I'll be thinking I'm the son of a Jewish shopkeeper and my name is Morris O'Rubin. Whatever. For Sean Conway, Joanne Olson, Mark Wormke, Karen Yakabuski, and our producer, Barry Conway, we'd like to remind you all to help the local Irish celebrate St. Patrick's Day this coming March 17th, from the top of the morning to the bottom of that last glass long before the devil even knows you've slipped away home. Good day, and God bless. <laughs> <laughs>